Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, could this whole Gerald McCoy standoff just be a way for Bruce Arians to maybe motivate his 10th-year defensive tackle? And why does Levante David dodge some of the flack that is hurled at Gerald McCoy? Will the Rays get serious about the catcher position? And could the Rays be interested in Dallas Keuchel or James Shields as a starting pitcher? Your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, it's summertime. I know what that means. Your electric bill's going up and up, and you got to stop it somehow, right? So if you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bill, listen to me now. May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar has the safest solar available, and they don't use high voltage like many other companies. Now, May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. They're open week eight days and with their full showroom. You can see their products. And May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and peers. Now, there's many other solar companies that are out there trying to use their great name. Remember, they don't use subcontractors, and they don't subcontract for any other company in any other way. Everyone knows it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills. Start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you do it right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 by changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. All right, Steve, lots of questions uh, from our listeners. We appreciate that, of course. And you can always Send us questions if you want to on Twitter at SportsDayTB. There's other ways that we'll tell you about to get in touch with us. But uh, I know people have uh, Gerald McCoy on their mind and others. Let's get started. Well, we'll start with Gerald. And Kenny had asked, could the Gerald McCoy drama be one of Bucko Bruce's head games? Maybe Gerald will come play this season with an extra chip on his shoulder or anger. Could this all be part of a master plan? Well, um, I suppose it could be. I don't think it is. Uh, I love the nickname Bucko Bruce. I'm just starting to learn a little bit about Bruce Arians, who who does have his own made of it motivational sort of ways about him. We saw that with Vernon Hargraves, of course, the other day when you know he called him out and, and didn't allow him to practice, and then told the media very publicly that you know Hargraves wasn't mentally ready to practice, whatever that meant. And then you come to find out that's sort of been what Bruce does to his players on a, on a fairly regular basis. He did it in Arizona as well. The difference with this one is. I think this is as much financial as it is in terms of production. I think you have, you know, a player who is 31 years old, um, who, you know, has, has not really had the sort of year last year that they had hoped he would have and doesn't have the impact maybe uh, down to down. They're changing their defense. I think that could be a factor, even though they say that, you know, Darnell Dockett made the transition as well. Look, it's not a deep defensive line, but if you're trying to motivate Gerald, Mission accomplished. If you're trying to motivate Gerald to play here, you failed miserably because you you basically blew up a bridge um, with some of the things that you said. It would it would have helped to have gotten to know Gerald McCoy. I don't know that Bruce Arians has had more than one discussion with the guy. 
And I'm, I'm very confident to say that Todd Bowles has not had more than one discussion. And so basically they put this guy on an island and have made it known to him that, that you know, despite what you may hear from Bruce publicly, that they really don't care that, that he's not in the building. You know, I don't think he's in their plans. Uh, I think that uh, they have an, an, an intention of, of probably trading him if they can make that happen. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of compensation they expect in return. It's possible he could still get released. But the motivational part would be for him to play here. I think the Arians is motivating him all right, but I think it'll be a motivated player for some other team. And, you know, God forbid that uh, he comes back to Raymond James one day and he's and he's motivated to to play against Bruce Arians. But, yeah, this one strikes me as, as more of a decision you make in the front office in conjunction with your head coach but also recognizing that he's $13 million against the salary cap. It is not guaranteed in terms of his salary, so you can cut or release him, trade him, whatever you want to do without a penalty. So I really think that that's what's behind this. I think it's more financial and whatever, however they've evaluated him as a player. Um, they may have a value on him for them for him to play here, um, but the bigger value is you know they feel like he's an asset that they can get some kind of compensation back in terms of draft picks or something else, I would imagine. I, that's the only reason I can think that he's here right now. Okay, Tommy asks, do you see the possibility of Gerald McCoy being released and the Bucks picking up in Dominican Sue? Should only take six to eight million to grab him for a year. So I assume this was written by Don and Dominican Sue's agent, um, <laughs> which is which is outstanding that we have that sort of relationship because I don't think anyone can talk to to Dominican Sue about what he would require to play here. Look, he made more money last year than Gerald McCoy. They came out the same year. Last year, Indomitian Sue made $14.5 million, and that was to go play for the Rams coming out of Miami where he had had four and a half sacks. He goes to the Rams. He has almost no impact during the regular season, really. Um, winds up with four and a half total sacks for the year. Actually played better in the postseason than he had all year, and he's now a free agent. Okay, The Rams did not re-sign him. So you've got Sue, you've got McCoy, um, you've got Wilkerson out there. I mean, there are some free agent, you know, interior defensive linemen, and the question is going to be, you know, how little will any of these guys play for? Because it's clear to me that Sue's not going to get a big contract. I don't know that he's going to play for $6 million. I really, I really don't know. Um, you know, it's hard for me to say what, what his plans are and what he would require. But, you know, that's that's where it stands right now. So – you know, could could Sue be somebody that they add? I mean, Bruce Arians has said that, you know, he's always added a player late uh, to the mix everywhere he's been. With the Cardinals, it was Dwight Freeney. I don't know if Sue's that guy per se. I don't know if, if there's somebody else. Um, but I, I'd be surprised if Sue played for $6 million. That seems like a, a pretty big haircut. All right, Steve asks, Gerald McCoy takes all sorts of heat for being the face of losing, but Levante David gets a complete pass from the fans and the press. Not that either deserve it, just strange that Levante, who leads quietly, doesn't get any flack for his leadership style. Well, and I think that's the difference. You know, um, Levante does go about it quietly. They're just two different personalities. And, you know, there's nothing you can get around the fact that, that Gerald McCoy was the third overall pick in the draft. Levante David was picked... Uh, midway through the second round. And so, you know, the expectations weren't quite as high. I mean, a lot of people probably hadn't even heard of Levante David. He went the junior college route. He played a couple of years at Nebraska. And next thing you know, you know, they're taking uh, they're taking him in the second round. 
I believe that's the year that they took Mark Barron in the first round instead of Luke Keekley. So, you know, it's it's just first, you know, I think you start there with the expectations and also the position, you know. Um, look, Gerald McCoy had to come in and play the three technique, the under tackle that Warren Sapp played. And so naturally everybody's going to compare him to Warren Sapp. Well, who are you comparing Levante David to? You could say Derek Brooks, but we all know there's one Derek Brooks. I just think that Levante has done a good job of keeping to his own personality, which is not to be out front, um, to lead by example, to kind of do things behind the scenes. But he hasn't had to stand up there and answer day after day, week after week, for why all the losing has occurred. And for better or worse, that that was thrust upon Gerald because he was the third overall pick and because they didn't have any veterans on the team. Levante David was drafted a couple years after Gerald McCoy. So, you know, Gerald was already here in the spokesperson of the defense, so he didn't have to be out front. And I, I think that's pretty much the difference. Um, there could come a time when people will, you know, I, I wrote a column about it in the Tampa Bay Times that, you know, a year from now, Levante David will sort of be in Gerald McCoy's cleats in as much that he'll be 30 years old, will have played nine seasons, um, will be owed $10.75 million, and, you know, none of that money for the first time of his new deal will be guaranteed. So they can cut, trade, or release him, whatever, uh, for, for no, nothing against the salary cap. So we'll see what the Bucks do in that situation. A lot of it will depend on Levante and just how productive he, he remains. He's been fairly consistent. He's had over 100 tackles every year. Um, you know, the one thing that you can start to see is that he's missed games now because of injuries. He's missed five in the last two years. And I will continue to say this, that in my experience, Players don't get healthier and more productive as they get older in the NFL. It's very unusual to, to see that happen, Tom Brady notwithstanding. Um, so I, I think that, you know, his time is coming. He knows it. Uh, whether it's next year or not, a lot of that depends on how he plays this year. Ellis asks, what are the odds that the Vernon Hargrave situation was prearranged between Bruce Arians and Vernon Hargraves? We had mentioned it yesterday in the podcast, and he had the same thoughts as well. Yeah, well, when you say prearranged, I mean – you know, we were talking about it, uh, you're right, on the previous podcast, and, and what I've been able to determine is that as a matter of, of, of just, you know, tradition almost, uh, you know, Bruce Arians will call out a, a player to challenge him and will do it publicly through the media. And sometimes they know after the fact, and sometimes they know before the fact, but they always know what's coming. And because he wants them to know, and he he wants it to be a, uh, to use, you know, the the media to to send his message to any given player. Normally, he tries not to surprise them for about it. So I assume he went to Vernon. I mean, obviously, he went to Vernon and told him you're not practicing today, right? So there had to be some discussion about why Vernon on the first day of OTAs, which is voluntary, he shows up there ready to work, and they tell him, no, 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 no. You stand over here on the sidelines. We're going to let the rookies that we just drafted that will eventually replace you, we're going to let them take the first team reps, and you're going to be over here. So at some point he had to go, what, what, what? And what, what's that all about? And so Bruce would have told him. And, and again, you know, I, I just go down the laundry list. I don't know what Vernon did, if anything, to deserve it. Um, he didn't miss a meeting. He wasn't late to a meeting. He, he uh, you know, by all outward accounts, you know, was ready to practice. And, uh, but mentally, what does that mean? Could that be classroom? I just, think it's, I just think it's Arians just decided, hey, I really need this guy to be on the top of his game from day one. And so on day one, I'm going to challenge him by holding him out and then telling everybody he wasn't mentally ready to practice. And it, it, was, 
to me it was premeditated. It was it was explicit uh, to do on the first day of uh, off season, you know, workouts, uh, organized team activities when the media is only there one out of every four days, and this was one of the days we were going to be there. I mean, if he does this on day two of the OTAs, nobody knows about it. Nobody says anything because we're not, we're not aware of it. So this this clearly was was orchestrated as to how much. Hargraves knew before he was told to stay on the sidelines. I'm not sure. Sean asked, I thought the NFL teams have a pool of money to sign rookies independent of the 53-man roster. I heard on your podcast that the Bucks don't have cap space to sign everyone. Well, the rookie salary pool uh, is within the cap, if you can look at it that way. Um, what, they, what they are given is, um, based on how many draft picks they have and where, where they are drafted, um, you have to allot so much of your salary cap towards the rookie pool because you can't exceed it. Um, in other words, let's say, and I'm doing simple math here because I hate math. Let's say you have 10 draft picks and they give you $10 million, right? Well, that sounds simple. That's my rookie salary pool is $10 million. Well, you could give them each a million dollars, but that's not going to work because your first round pick wants the bulk of it. So I have to take this finite amount of money, which is going against my overall salary cap, but that's all the money I have to pay rookies because they're on a wage scale, essentially. I mean, basically, it's, it's like 10%, I think, over the previous year's um, you know, draft spot. That's the only kind of raise they're going to get year to year um, as far as rookies go, I believe. So, you know, if you look at last year's number five overall pick, it's going to be very close to what, you know, Devin White's going to get this season. So, um, so it's a subset of the overall salary cap, but the salary cap doesn't change. But so if you're up against the salary cap, and, and during this time of year, it just gets even more confusing because I told you there would be math. Um, the only the top 51 contracts actually count. So people were like, well, how do they sign five draft picks right off the bat if they didn't have any money? Well, the reason they're able to do that is, is say there's a guy uh, who's a rookie and he's going to count 800000 against the cap this year. But that's going to replace your 51st contract of a guy who was making $600,000. Well, you're only taking on an extra $200,000 that wasn't already accounted for on the, on the salary cap, okay? So then that other guy's salary is not part of the 51 highest paid. And so that's sort of how it goes. You, you can, you know, can kind of you know, supplant one rookie for whoever the, the lower guy on the totem pole was, um, and it kind of stays that way. But when you get to Devin White, who could get – you know, count $5 million this year against the cap. Now the Bucks don't have enough to sign him. Um, and, and so it becomes a little, a little more trickier. So that's, that's basically it. Um, you know, they're able to do both. And it's just a subset of the, of the bigger salary cap. All right, we'll switch to the Rays now. Unless it asks, when will the Rays get serious about the catcher position? I understand their business model, but you can't leave a good catcher in the minors till he's 27 and expect him to have anything left in the tank when he gets called up. This has been hurting the Rays for a decade. Great question. I have no, I have no clue why they don't develop more catchers, but except that it's the hardest position in baseball to find, and th- that would be my my early assessment. And look, if they had a guy who was ready to play now, it wouldn't matter if he was twenty seven or or twenty two, he'd be up here playing. You know, everybody's looking for good catching. You don't want to rush these guys to the major leagues like any other position and then ruin their confidence and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm not I'm not all that familiar with just what the Rays have in an organization in terms of the of the catching position, but I thought they did address it. And you know, it, yes, have they gone out 
and and you know got Mike Zanino and and you know other players from other organizations. Yeah, that's that's what you have to do when you don't have one yourself that's coming up, you know, through the through the grapevine. Now they've had catchers that they have then then you know dealt away, um, and those are well documented, uh, in you know, in terms of that. But um, it's it's look, all I can say is it's a really really hard position to fill, and you know, it, clearly everybody's looking for them, and you can't have enough of them. You need two good ones for every major league team, and then consider all the minor league teams that are there. And a lot of times they convert guys uh, to the catching position. So I don't know if they had him and he, and they thought they could develop a guy to play in the majors, they'd be thrilled to do it. But the fact is they haven't done it with any position players. I mean, what, what position do you think that the Rays have really developed? We see, well, you know, Willie Adamas came from another organization. I mean, Kevin Kiermaier was like a 33rd round pick. Um, You know, who in their, in their lineup right now today, can you say, you know, there's a bunch of homegrown, you know, raised position players. I mean, well, that's sort of been a weakness anyway. You're starting to see it now with Brendan Lau, Nate Lowe. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the criticisms I have of when Andrew Friedman was GM of this franchise is that they didn't develop hitters at all. I mean, outside Evan Longoria, when was the last time a major hitter came up? Carl and, and Evan Longoria was – well, he was before Longoria, but – No, I know. I'm Longoria, saying, like, Longoria was the, you know, number backwards. what? Number three pick overall or whatever. I mean, it's hard to miss yeah. that one. Right. That they really didn't. Now the Rays catching is a problem. I mean, they're starting to get a lot more depth in the infield, the outfield, and they've always had pitching depth in the minors. That's one thing they've they've been good at for years. Um, yeah. They have one prospect, a catcher who's in Single A right now, Charlotte, uh, Robert Ronaldo Hernandez, who was actually switched from an infielder to the catching. Right. And so sure. he's still learning the catching position. A big arm, big body. He's the, actually the number five catching prospect in baseball, and he's seventh on the Rays prospects according wow. to MLB Pipeline. And in the top hundred prospects, but you know he's not going to be up here for a couple of years, assuming you know he continues at the the way they think he's going to develop. But I mean, he's really yeah. the only major catching candidate that they have in their pipeline at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've seen Nick Shufo and, and Anthony Benboom is in Charlotte this or uh, Durham this year. Those you know, and Shufo they got in a trade. Benboom, I, I don't really remember his history, but <laughs> now they've been know, in a majors. Now. <laughs> but I don't think they're major catching prospects. I mean, you know, yeah. I think they're serviceable when they get called up and, and need be, and they'll continue to develop. But I think Ronaldo Hernandez is the one you're going to look at in a couple of years. But he's still, I mean, he's at you know single A advanced right now. He's a couple of years away from even you know seeing the majors at this point. It's just a hard thing to do. I, I had a friend of mine that played in the Orioles organization years ago, and he was a tremendous catcher. I mean, defensively was just lights out. But they feel like when they drafted him that he was never going to advance beyond double or triple A. And you know what? He never did. But they loved the way he handled their pitchers down there, and that probably hurt him too. Um, and, and so they kept him down there. But it's just really hard to find a guy that can, can – you know, the, the defense is obviously the most important thing. Mm-hmm. If you can't catch, you're obviously not going to make it up to how you handle pitchers and throw guys out, control the running game and all that. It's hard to find a guy to do that and take a pounding back there behind a the plate as well and, and avoid injuries. A lot of these guys get hurt. Um, and so – but then to find somebody who can, you know, handle the bat a little bit, you know, give you something, whether it's power or, um, you know, something – offensively that that's a whole nother issue so um just i just think it's hard to find catching i mean you know how many mm-hmm. how many great catchers are there in the major leagues let alone you know um uh, coming up through the minors so it's just hard position well and the scouts on on ronaldo hernandez say look he's he he could become an average defender and remember he's learning mm-hmm. the position he was converted from an infielder as as a lot of them yeah. are yeah. could become an average defender with enough thump at the plate to compensate for any shortcomings behind it 
There you go. All right, Craig asked, Kevin Kiermaier is down to 220 and looks like another season where he'll be a below-average hitter. Is it time to move on from him? Also, is there too much swing and miss on the Rays? Do you think they can be a better contact team, or will this just be what it is? Well, that's two questions, uh, and both of them are good ones. Look, with Kiermaier, I think he is what he is, and what he is is not what he needs to be uh, in terms of sort of what he gives you. You know, he's a guy that can run. Uh, he's got good speed. He could steal bases if he were able to, to get on consistently. He still has a, you know, a tendency to try to yoke everything and, and, and pull the ball. That's why they play the shifts on him, and that, that hurts his batting average. That hurts his on-base percentage. You need a guy like that to have a pretty good high on-base on percentage that could hit you know, up in the lineup either first or second and, and give you something. He's not real good against left-handers. Uh, I, start, I think you're starting to see now more of a platoon situation with him in center field against the really good lefties. There's a little bit of a tell if you, you know, sort of see how they're, how they're using him right now that, uh, you know, they're not real confident in him against certain players. But I don't know when that, that point is that you move on. He's still a guy, you know, wins over replacement, that sort of thing. He's now more of a senior uh, player on their team uh, than, than a newcomer. they got a lot of young players on this baseball team. He's had a little success. I don't. I don't think now is the time with, with as young as your baseball team is, and and he's still, you know, look, he's still, a, you know, a plus 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 defensive player in center field. So, you know, they've got some other outfielders that you know can provide more with the bat, but I still think you need him out there. I don't think it's quite time to move on, um, but look, I mean, we have to accept what he is, and that is, you know, he's he's going to be around two forty, two fifty on the plus side, maybe two sixty hitter, strikes out way too much, that sort of thing. Now, with respect to the strikeouts, and we're talking about Kiermaier, you know, he's maybe one of the leading offenders. Again, he's a guy that should put the ball in play, should try to hit it the other way, uh, on the ground, use his speed. I think they do swing and miss too much. I think that's been a problem. Now, you don't have Joey Wendell. You know, uh, you've got guys like Daniel Robertson that started off in a slump. Willie Adamas really hasn't come around yet. So they're not making the kind of contact they need them to make, especially with men in scoring position. That's when it's showing up. When you get guys on, you got to get them over and get them in. And to get them, get them in part is difficult if you're swing and miss guy, right? And they got too many swing and miss guys right now, especially when they have runners in scoring position. So, you know, yes, they need to start, you know, putting the ball in play a little bit more. Um, but then there's also, you know, the total move to the game is is changed that strikeouts are now no longer considered a really bad thing. And home runs are rewarded. Chicks dig the long ball, all of that. We're talking about velocity now that they never used to talk about off the bat, you know, launch angle, those sort of things. And so I think uh, I don't think a strikeout is viewed as negatively as it used to be, which is why you almost never see a game, Steve, where at least one or both teams have at least 10 strikeouts. You almost never see it anymore. Yeah, I, I think the strikeout is, isn't viewed as negatively anymore, but in certain situations it is. And that, as you said, when you have runners in scoring position and you need to be advancing runners, you cannot advance them. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Strikeout. You have no That's shot right. at, at advancing a runner when you do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think overall, you know, a strikeout with, you know, two outs in the bottom of the second, nobody on and you strike out, no big deal. Right. That's not viewed as negatively as it used to be. But when you've got runners at first and second and one out, and you want to either get the runners over or in, and you strike out, you've got no shot at that. But it's hard to kind of serve both gods because what they tell these mm-hmm. guys now is, you know, we don't want you, you know, sort of cutting down on the swing and protecting the plate because we want every swing to be, you know, a maximum – uh, type deal that if that if you square the ball up and it comes off the bat with velo- again back to the to the velocity they want you to hit the ball hard wherever wherever whenever you hit it hit it hard and if you hit it hard enough then that's going to create you know a, a, a difficulty on the defense because it's going to get through the holes it's going to get to the gaps it's going to force uh, errors you know force errors and, and and have create tough chances and so. You know, in order to do that, you, you can't do what they used to do, which is, hey, I'm going to fungo this. You know, I'm going to play a little pepper here and make sure I don't strike out. I'm just going to try to put the ball in play. I think there is times when you can do both, but there's such an emphasis on the other that I think they're actually, you know, I think it's self-fulfilling prophecy. You can't go up there and tell guys, hey, when you see a pitch to hit, we want a full swing, we want a hard cut. Doesn't matter if you got two strikes. And then, oh, well, by the way, there's guys in scoring position Make sure you don't strike out here. So it's 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 a tough thing to do, to kind of calibrate those two when you're at the plate. And I think you know, look, Matt Duffy's missing from this lineup too. He's a great contact hitter. Sure, uh, Joey sure. Wendell, and and right now you've got some players for the Rays in slumps. I mean, you know, mm. Brendan Lau particularly oh. is in a bad slump right now, striking out a lot. You didn't see that as much early. And Neil Solon's talked about it the other day. Is you know he's. He's swinging over the breaking pitches, which you expect kind of at this at this point in his career. But he's just missing the fastballs, which is what he thrives on, and why you know. So he's leading to more strikeouts because he's missing those. He's fouling them off instead of driving them. Um, you know, so I, I do think they're swinging and missing a little too much. I think there's some reasons for it, and some some of the hitters they're missing are keys to that. And you know, like Matt Duffy should be back. He's eligible to come off May 27th. He's been playing in minor league games at this point, so he could be back within two weeks. And um, I don't remember when Joey Wendell can come back. Probably sometime in June. So th- yeah. that can help them there in that regard. Yeah, they definitely got to do a better job with runners in scoring position. The IC Champ 11 asked. <laughs> That's his Twitter. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. What about the Rays and Dallas Keuchel? It's obvious that they need another starter with Glass now out for a while. Well, I don't think it's that obvious, first of all. Um, you, we talked about this the other night, Steve, and I agree with you that – you know, you have enough guys that can eat up innings. And, and even if it's uh, – I personally think that, you know, to, to ask to do it three, three times instead of two through, you know, through the rotation is difficult. I still think it's going to eventually get their bullpen. But, um, you know, they've got enough guys that can eat up innings, whether they start the game or they come in, in the first, uh, after the first inning, uh, to where they can kind of survive this, assuming that Glass now – uh, doesn't have any setbacks and, and, and gets back towards the end of, what are they saying now, uh, sometime in June perhaps? Yeah, the diagnosis um, was four to six weeks, so you're talking probably early June, mid, early to mid-June. Yeah, so, so, I mean, unless the timetable changes dramatically, you can I think you can survive this. Now, they got a stretch of games coming up where I think this is where you might run into trouble. And 
it puts an awful lot of pressure. You know, Blake Snell and Charlie Morton now, they cannot have short outings. They have to get deep. They have to get six, seven innings if they can um, because now if, if they run into any early trouble, um, now you're really you're really going to be shuttling guys, you know, from Durham. So, uh, you know, they're, they're going to manage it the best they can. That's what they do. Um, if they thought Dallas Keuchel was the answer, I think he'd be on this pitching staff right now. Uh, and so, well, don't know, forget. I, I don't, so he was given a qualifying offer from Houston last year. He turned that okay. down. A qualifying offer, a one-year deal for seventeen point nine million. So you have to wait, right? This, yeah, the same thing Craig Kimbrell has. Yeah. If you sign him before June second at midnight, I, I, that's right. Before the Major League Baseball draft, mm-hmm. you have to give up your third draft pick of that draft, which for the Rays would be their second round draft pick because they've got a first which round is, pick, which they've is got huge, a, yeah. they've got a revenue sharing. It's not a compensatory pick, but, uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 to make things equal teams that get rev share, get picks after the first round, first and second round, depending on what level you're at, they got to pick after the first round. So their second round pick would be what they would lose as far as if they sign either one of those guys before June 2nd. So, and that's what every team, every team's going to lose a pick. Now, it, depending on what picks you have and, and where your revenue is and everything else depends on which picks you lose. But any team that signs those guys before June 2nd is going to lose a draft pick, a, a high draft pick. I mean, you're talking top mm-hmm. 40, 50, 60 picks for most of these teams. So, and we're two weeks from that. We're two weeks away right. from that. So why not wait two weeks? And I know you can get, especially they have some days off still coming, you know, these next – a week or so. And then after that, it's going to be, you know, pretty constant games every night. But after June 2nd, now you're in a bidding war with everyone. I mean, that's true. The too. advantage to signing one of these guys now, yes, you lose your draft pick, is you're not in necessarily a bidding war at this point. But at this point, Kimbrell and Dallas Keichel are two weeks away from that deadline or three weeks and saying, why would I sign now? In three weeks, I can have an all out bidding war. That's right. You know, they so make more money and that sort of thing. Yeah. My guess is nothing's going to happen until after June second, and then it's, at that point, it's the highest bidder. Would Dallas Keuchel come here? I think I think he absolutely would. And, and there's a lot of thought that Kimbrel wants a multi-year deal. There's talk that Keuchel actually wants a one-year deal, and wants to become a free agent at the end of this year again. Mm-hmm. And you know, whatever you sign him for, let's say it's eighteen million dollars. Well, if you sign him in June, it's actually going to cost you twelve million. Let's say for the year Mm -hmm. because it's going to be prorated so and he may you know he may take that you know 18 or 20 million dollars just for this year and become a free agent at the end of the year you may not need to sign him long term so the Rays could be in line for him Kimbrell the talk is he wants a three-year deal I don't know if the Rays would be willing to do that I think they have a lot of interest in Craig Kimbrell I don't know if he's willing to do a deal that the Rays would consider which is more likely a one or two-year deal yeah it makes sense totally well Christian and Les both had questions about James Shields is available. It makes so much sense as a Band-Aid. The leadership alone would be worth it. Well, I mean, leadership alone uh, won't get guys out. And so, you know, I, I think if James Shields could consistently get guys out, he might, you know, of course you can say that about that, you know, Dallas Keuchel and others. I, I mean, there would be a, a sort of uh, uh, nostalgic feel to James Shields coming back here. That might actually, you know, get his juices flowing a little bit. You know, it, he's always been a guy that could log innings for you. So, I, but I just don't know, you know, what the evaluation is on him. I would think he's he's been to enough places, he's he's pitched enough uh, that that people probably know what he's got left in the tank. And I'm just not sure. You know, this guy logged a lot of innings now. I mean, he was a horse every staff he's been on. So, you know, 
Is there any tread left on that tire that you can that you can uh, chew up? I, I I just don't know the answers to that. Well, three of the last four seasons, he's had 117 innings or less, meaning he's been hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, last yeah, season, catch, he actually got two, he had 204 innings last season with a 4.53 ERA for Chicago. Yeah, you know it's I, caught up to him. I, I mean, I just think it's it's caught up to him. Yeah, I think I think you know they would love to sign James Shields if they thought he could help this team win. I don't know if if he's good enough at this point in his career to now. The impact he would have in the locker room and on the rest of the staff oh, be tremendous. Would be tremendous, yeah. absolutely. All right, Chris asks: Does it hurt the Rays' quest for a new stadium that Miami has a state-of-the-art, taxpayer-paid-for stadium in a town with more corporate headquarters and nobody attends? I don't know how much it hurts, Steve. I know it doesn't help. Um, you know, I I'm of the belief that those are different sort of you know markets, and 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 I've heard, and I don't know because I've not been to Marlins Park. That that might not have been the best location for it. Location, location, location. It it's means, like when you're buying a house, right? It means more to right. baseball stadiums than any other sport. Yeah. Because of the number of games and the number of games you have in a row. Yeah. When you're asking someone to buy season tickets and go seven straight days, location, location, location. Right, which is why I think, you know, you see a lot of downtown ballparks, you know, uh, um, you know, places where, where there's a lot of activity normally anyway, and, and people can either filter out of work or, you know, it's not far from a suburb where they can get to a, a, a large population center. Um, it has to become the, the thing to do. And, um, you know, I think that's why the TROP suffers. Look, I don't, I don't believe that the building itself, while it's, you know, aesthetically not very pleasant and it's, you know, archaic in its design, um, it has a whole lot wrong with it, but I don't think going into a 72-degree climate-controlled venue with some of the amenities that they've added to it on the inside is a terrible experience for the fan. I think it's the opposite. I think it's very mm-hmm. pleasant. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit out in the 98-degree heat with 95% humidity and, and the threat of thunderstorms every night and me not knowing whether my drive to the ballpark wherever or however far it is is going to result in a you know six-hour rain delay. I, I just I'm not into that. So – you know, you're going to have to, to recognize that the team is good, the product is good. There's clearly an interest because I think, you know, there's there's plenty of evidence of that in the TV ratings and whatnot. Um, location is what has hurt this product, I think, from the start. Tampa is one of the fastest-growing cities or areas in the state of Florida, one of the fastest-growing areas in the country. Um, we don't have the corporations. We talked about that. I also think, though, that, Steve, there's something about Florida, okay, and maybe a place like Arizona, um, where professional sports is a, tr- is a tough ticket. You know, look, the Lightning do well because they win and because they're, they're a, a well-run organization. Uh, if they stop losing, are there enough transplants that would still go watch the Red Wings one day and the Blackhawks one day and Toronto one day? Yeah, maybe. Um, but they play a lot. They play a lot of games. But if you look at if whether you're talking about the Miami Dolphins who have you know been around forever, and you know won Super Bowls and the whole Don Shula stuff and all of that, or you're talking about you know the Jacksonville Jaguars who are now probably the best candidate to move to London and play what three games over there a year it seems, um, you know it doesn't matter who you're talking about the Tampa Bay Bucks I know they haven't won, a lot of this is is due to not winning but the Rays have won the Marlins have won World Series before. I just don't think the Florida market is that great, and I think part of it is that we're a we're a uh, transient state, we're a tourist state. P- 
people are from other places. They have allegiances to other teams. Well, and there's so I much. All, there's so much stuff because we're a tourist state. There's so much other alternatives for entertainment. Competing for your dollar. Yes. That's right. Absolutely. Hotels, restaurants, theme parks, um, condos. You know, can I go on and on? I mean, you know, there's a lot to do. Boating. Uh, you know, there's just so much going on down here that. You know, it's not no offense to Green Bay, but if you're in Green Bay, Wisconsin, folks, you know, what are you doing on the weekends if not college football and, and going to see the Packers if you could? Um, there's just not a whole hell of a lot. And now I get a bunch of letters from Wisconsin people. <laughs> but and by the way, I live with a woman who went to Wisconsin. OK, so don't don't beat me up too bad. I love Wisconsin. But nonetheless, it, it's just I think I think it's a unique market. There's a lot of dollars here. There's a lot of people here. There's a lot of growth that's – all you have to do is get on the highway to know how much how many damn people are moving here every day. But, uh, but for whatever reason, it's a tough – the entertainment dollar is tough. It's mm-hmm. stretched, it's thin, and the salaries aren't high, and the corporations aren't big, and it's, it's tough to sell these tickets. Just go ask Brian for it. And, again, look, they're, they're guilty as hell for not winning. But, but aside from that, there's a lot of pro sports teams that don't win that still don't struggle the way these teams do to get fannies in the seats. You know, it's just not happening for him. All right, Rick, I don't know if you saw the story in the Tampa Bay Times that uh, Mark Topkin had, and I think the Chicago Tribune first reported it, that Juliana Zobrist has filed for divorce from Ben Zobrist, who obviously both of them were fan favorites while Ben was a Tampa Bay Ray here. Juliana would sing the national anthem often at the stadium. Um, You know, she was a wonderful singer. Um, Ben's a tremendous baseball player and a tremendous guy, and it's kind of sad to see that, that, uh, and he's been away from the team for a week or so. Uh, dealing with a family matter now we know what that is yeah it's 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 sad i mean it's sad for anybody uh who who has gone through that i've i've you know gone through a divorce myself in my lifetime and and uh, let me tell you you don't you certainly don't wish that upon anyone you don't wish it upon the children it's very difficult um it's certainly not unusual in the general population and probably more so in professional sports look i mean they these are two uberly uber successful people in their own fields they had their own careers. Um, she's a very, very successful gospel singer. He obviously has played a lot of baseball and been away a lot. And uh, they supported each other's careers. And, and, and at times, it is like you mentioned with the National Anthem, it's intertwined nicely. They had this rule where um, when he played in Tampa, I think, that they wouldn't go uh, more than six days without seeing each other. She would either, you know, if he's on a long road trip, she'd go uh, to the city he was playing in and so on. But that becomes difficult when you have children and their needs and they get more and more as they get older uh, and their children are getting older, you're not inside the marriage. You can't really judge it. You don't know what, what went wrong, but boy, that's, that's a couple, um, you know, very spiritual, both of them, uh, faith-based Christian based met a long time ago. Uh, I think in, uh, when he was in Iowa city or somewhere, um, small town people. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's disappointing, but it's also sort of, you know, the, the the society we live in, and we, we really don't know what happened. But I guess uh, you said that uh, um, somebody had an insight with respect to he had taken some personal time off, and then this apparently uh, was related. Yeah, a couple man. of us were having a conversation the other night that, you know, wonder what was going on with Ben. He's taking some uh, personal time off. And you know, my first thought was, you know, gosh, I hope, you know, Juliana yeah. or the kids are okay health-wise. And, <clears throat> sure. and the person said to me, he goes, um, usually when it's a personal matter, it means you're getting a divorce. Mm. So I hate that yeah. you got it right, but nailed it. Yeah, yeah, not not uncommon, but hopefully it's uh, it's acrimonious and uh, and everything will be uh, will be okay. 
All right, we got one last question, and it's non-sports related from Josh, who says, I've always been curious. Open up the kimono and describe logistics. How, where you and Steve record the podcast each night? First of all, I don't know how this person knew that I wear a kimono when I do this. Um, It is from Tokyo. I got it in 2000. No, that's not true. I don't wear a kimono. (laughs) But I will open it up anyway. Um. Well, I was shocked, first of all, that this is is as seamless for me, not for Steve, but for me as it is, because when you when, when we were approached about doing a podcast, even before the Tampa Bay Times did one, me and Tom Jones uh, did it with, with Steve as our producer uh, after our radio days, and I was like, well, how, you know, do I have to go to a studio? Is this going to be, you know, like radio where I was up at four in the morning? Like, how are we going to do this? We're, we can't all be in the same place at one time particularly if we're going to do it, you know, multiple times a day or as we did it every day, of the, every day of the week, Monday through Friday or Sunday through Thursday, as the case may be. And Steve said, no, no, they got the technology now where it's really pretty easy. And you know what? It is. It's damn easy. Even though it sounds like we're close together, we are many, many miles apart. I am sitting upstairs in the palatial Stroud estate uh, in my uh, comfortable gated community in Lutz, <laughs> where I will not reveal its location, but um, but I have my own, you know, my own little space up here in my, in my man cave, if you will. And, um, very comfortable, able to sit with my laptop, dial up a, a, you know, a website of some kind. I don't know, you know how, how the magic happens, but I push a button and then Steve is on the other end and, and we, we talk and he does all the technical stuff on his end and I'll let you speak to that, but it's, it's really remarkable, uh, the quality and just the convenience of, of how we produce this. Yeah, technologies. I mean, I have a home studio in my uh, home office at my house, and because uh, I do several other shows and some other production stuff. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, it it the technology with you know in the last five to ten years is amazing. Where you know it used to require you if you've ever heard you know ISDN lines and things like that, mm-hmm. which are expensive, and the equipment to use them is even more expensive, and you're making long distance calls or calls, and you're paying by the minute and. All that stuff is no more. I mean, if you listen to uh, Ray's broadcast on the radio or the Lightning broadcast on the radio and the Bucks broadcast on the radio, they don't use ISDNs anymore. It's all being done by the internet now. Mm. In the last, that's only happened in the last year or two. But teams are moving away from that with the internet now. It's making everything easier, more portable, more mobile, um, easier to do. It takes a little bit of equipment, just making sure you have a good internet connection, which. You know, occasionally you'll hear Rick uh, kind of a blip or two. Or so that's usually one of our inter- internet connections is a little weak for a second or two. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, we work through that. that. Then there's something else you have to do in order to to distribute it, sort of um, where where people can download it wherever podcasts are, right? Yeah, well, that, there's many podcasts, different hosts there, and, and the Times uses one in particular, and you know, we upload it there, write a description, and then, you know, obviously we tweet it out and that, but I'll add the sound in and add the music in after the fact. We don't do that actually live. I'll put that in post-production. Um, so when we hop on, we just talk. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it, it is it is user-friendly. The only thing that's not friendly is that sometimes we're uh, we're up very early in the morning or late at night, however you want to look at that, but... Uh, um, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. We've done it a while. We've been very successful. We appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for that question. Uh, I, I, I hope this, this podcast has continued to grow. We, we're on to like our 13th, 14th month now with just me and Steve doing it. And um, it's, it's remarkable how many listeners we have. And we appreciate each and every one of our sponsors. And, um, you know, so it it's, it's, continues to be a lot of fun. And I hope we can do it uh, for a long time. So 
Thanks for that question, and I hope that uh, you know, I'm going to put my kimono back on now uh, <laughs> and, uh, and make sure that I put the drawstring real tight, and then, uh, and then I can continue. You mentioned the 15 months or so that we've done it. Tom Jones actually is going to be on the podcast next week. We don't know which day yet. Oh. We're still working that out, but he will make That's a return awesome. next week. So, Wow. Now, see, now you're telling me something I didn't know. Ah. That's uh, my former radio partner, the Rick and Tom Show. Yes. So, yeah, it's always great to have TJ back. I'm, I, hope he, I hope he does it on a regular basis, too. I hope we can get him because, you know, it's, it's, uh, he's at the Pointer Media well, He's Institute, a big wig now. He's, 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 he's Mr. Smarty Pants, yes. He's – he he now tells everybody else how they should do their jobs. I think that's that's what we call him. Uh, and so far, he hasn't criticized how I do mine. When that happens, he'll never be on the show again. But he he's a media critic in a way, uh, in sort of like you know. But he, but he he's too busy telling CNN and Fox and you know CNBC and 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 all those you know the the big networks. You know, t- he's got Lester Holt and all these guys to deal with. Um, I don't think he's going to get to me anytime soon. But we're happy to have him. From the Pointer Media Institute, longtime columnist, and and uh, our new segment called Pointer Counterpointer, I think is what we'll what we'll uh, what we'll call it when Tom is on. But hey, that'll be great to to hear from him next week. So uh, we'll continue to follow whatever Gerald McCoy news there might be, um, or anything else with the Bucks as they continue their phase three of the offseason workout program. The Rays have an off day today, and they'll begin a series against the New York Yankees, so that's something to look forward to uh, for sure as we approach the weekend. And we've got the PGA Tournament, right, at Beth Page Black. Is that correct? That begins today, yes. Tiger going for yeah. another Grand Slam win. Could he get number 16? Who you got, Tiger or the field? I'll take the field. <laughs> Remember for years that was a question. Who you got? Look, he's won one in a row. He could make it two. Who knows? That's what New York uh, but, fans should have learned in the NBA draft is take the field. <laughs> how about that? New York fans, they, they got they, – they, there was a great post about how, um, you know, here's who New York fans wanted, which, of course, was Zion Williamson. But here's who they got, which was the quarterback from Duke. <laughs> which, it's kind of like, wait a minute. We didn't want this guy. We wanted that guy. So well, They can't uh, have everybody from Duke, although they're probably going to get R.J. Barrett from Duke, so they are going to get another Duke guy. Just oh, that's not right. That's right. And uh, finally, folks, and remember, you know, it's starting to heat up out there, and I know that your electric bills are going up like mine are, and, and we've got to do something to stop it. I'm going to tell you what to do. Listen to me now. Call May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company. Uh, they're the best solar company around. They've been around uh, for at least 12 years, there's other people that might use their name, but they don't use subcontractors in any way. Uh, it's got to be May all the way. So stop uh, these out-of-control electric bills. You can do that by calling my friends at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you do it right now, you can receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 by changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.